Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives as usual. And we're brought to you today by Stamps.com. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get a special offer from Stamps.com. That includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a digital scale without any Long-term commitment. How do you like that? Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in three martini. Much more on that in just a moment. Jim, our good martini. Just because you're a media darling doesn't necessarily mean America's going to love you. That was kind of the question we posed when Beta O'Rourke jumped into the presidential race last week. It'll be a clarifying moment potentially about whether the media uh, glamorizing a candidate is enough to get them across the finish line, at least for the nomination, if not the general election, or whether he'll flame out. So far, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez appears to be the latter, although she's in a very safe district, so I'm not suggesting that she's about to lose anytime soon. But there are new numbers out from Siena looking at the favorability ratings of different New York political figures. And you got folks like Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand who are 10 points above water, but you get down to AOC, 31% approve, 44% disapprove, with a minus 13 net, obviously. They also don't like her very much when it comes to her actions with respect to losing the Amazon deal up in New York, whether she was a hero, 12%, or a villain, 38%. New Yorkers, by a 67 to 21% margin, say uh, losing out on the Amazon deal was definitely a bad thing for New York. Not to uh, uh, outrun her reputation here, AOC, definitely seeing why she's unpopular in New York. Somebody tweeted to her, It's interesting to see centrists suddenly downplay or ignore the effects of racism, sexism, and Fox News targeting when discussing AOC's overall approval rating. She tweets back, when centrists care more about the GOP base than the Dem base, bigotry gets legitimized. This is the playbook. GOP does it with virtually every Democratic figure who isn't a white male, otherize, demonize, and splinter. It's vital that we adapt and dismantle the approach not cow to it. So, Jim, clearly uh, she's unpopular because she's a woman and she's a minority, not because her ideas are insane. Well, Greg, the exact same poll has Bill de Blasio, kind of foreshadowing one of our other martinis today, 34% approve, 50% disapprove. That's a, a minus 16 uh, score there. And uh, that's even worse than hers. So um, is it racism or is it sexism that's holding back de Blasio? <laughs> Uh, or Fox News, I suppose, or something like that. You know, um, and this is a somewhat reassuring poll because it's one of those things where you realize politicians really don't go before the public and say, uh, as Ed, since we're talking about New York, as Ed Koch used to say, "How am I doing?" Uh, all that often. Uh, we all, you know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez had that really surprising primary victory. Uh, we all knew that because of the demographics in the district, she was going to win the general election quite easily. And since then, she's just been catapulted to this superstar status. And, and I don't think she is overcovered. I think she really is setting the tone and setting the, the pace and setting the terms of debate for the Democratic Party uh, since her ascension into Congress. She is a media sensation. And in light of that, you could get the idea of, oh, my God, this is what the future of the Democratic Party is. This is what the millennials want. This is the future. And now you look at this and you find out, well, actually, no. Uh, 
uh, in New York State, which is, you know, probably more more left of center than your average American state, uh, but not uniformly uh, uh, uniformly liberal. You know, upstate, middle range, Hudson Valley, those are not necessarily Long Island. Um, those are not necessarily, you know, they're not all Brooklyn. And uh, you add it all up, more New Yorkers feel negatively towards her than they feel positively towards her. Now, I think it's really interesting that the Amazon deal, which is one of the few times I thought she was right, uh, right for the wrong reasons. <laughs> you know, she just didn't like the idea of big companies getting anything. I just didn't you know. Folks like you and I have a, a much more skeptical view of the government picking winners and losers in the marketplace. Um, you know, that's, it's interesting that that might be one of the things that's hurting her in this poll. But overall, I think, look, this is a um, she's very combative, as we've noticed. She, she basically, when she's called out as being wrong, she argues that the fact checkers are being unfair. There's a lot of the Trump playbook, like the media is picking on me. I'm a victim. Um, their establishment of, you know, all of their motives are bad. This is, you know, her criticism is entirely driven by racism and sexism and, and Fox News propaganda. You know, she can't admit she's ever wrong on anything. Um, so it's good to see that this is as alienating as we would think it would be. Uh, not playing well. Obviously, it sounds like Democrats are by and large, but independents, uh, which are still a significant fa- factor in a whole bunch of states, um, are indeed repelled by this. So I doubt this will uh, humble her very much, but I think it's a, it should be a kind of a key, key indicator to a bunch of Democrats. Uh, all the stuff about the Green New Deal, everything else they've been touting themselves of saying, oh, you know, America's ready for this hard left turn. Eh, probably not. <laughs> this is a uh, uh, if, if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez can be unpopular in New York State, you should be a lot more careful about places like Ohio and Pennsylvania and Michigan and, and uh, Florida and places like that. Well, and they're doing a great job of overplaying their hand uh, on a lot of different issues. So hopefully uh, we'll see that type of backlash in uh, the more competitive states for Republicans, shall we say. Uh, so you got to get that message out about what people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would like to do to Spread the uh, socialist message in this country. And, Jim, the best way to do that is uh, at a good postage rate uh, through your direct mail. And otherwise, no one really has time, though, to go to the post office. You're busy. Who's got time for all the traffic, parking, lugging all your mail and packages? It's just a real hassle. So that's why you and we all need Stamps.com, one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all of the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Whether you're a small office that's sending out invoices, an online seller that's shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. You simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7, for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in the mailbox. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off of every first-class stamp and up to 40% off of priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. Saves you time and money. It's no wonder that more than 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. And right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial of Stamps.com, plus free postage, and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. All you have to do is go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Three Martini. That's Stamps.com, and enter Three Martini. 
All right, Jim, on to our bad martini for today. And we promised more Beta O'Rourke. And here it is. This is courtesy of the UK Daily Mail. Beta O'Rourke benefited from a deal between Reuters reporter Joseph Men and his former hacker buddies to keep the former congressman's membership in the cult of the dead cow a secret until after the 2018 Senate race. The move could have also benefited men if O'Rourke had succeeded, given a subject of his book would have been a U.S. senator. O'Rourke lost but became a rising national star in the process and is pursuing the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination. Here's an extended clip of Mr. Men explaining how he got to talk to O'Rourke without having to go public. While I was looking into the cult of the dead cow, I found out that they had a member who was sitting in Congress. I didn't know which one, but I knew that they had a member of Congress. Uh, and then I figured out which one it was. And the members of the group wouldn't talk to me about who it was. They wouldn't confirm that it was that this person unless I promised that I wouldn't write about it until after the November election. That's because the member of Congress had decided to run for Senate. Beto O'Rourke is who it was. They said, we'll talk to you about Beto O'Rourke, but it's got to be after the November election that it runs. I said, okay. I met Beto O'Rourke. I said, I'm writing a book about Cult of the Dead Cow. I think it's really interesting. I know you were in this group. This book is going to publish after November uh, and your Senate race is over. And he said, okay. And he told me about his time in the Cult of the Dead Jim, we're barely into this campaign season, and we're already talking about something called the Cult of the Dead Cow, which tells you probably how the rest of this campaign season is going to go. But uh, I now defer to uh, journalism professor Jim Garrity to describe (laughs) what the ethics are in this situation. Well, look, this is not the first time we've had a circumstance like this. And when I first heard about this, Greg, I had this nagging. Where have I seen this before? And I remember the book by, I believe it was Jonathan Allen and another reporter on the 2016 campaign called Shatter, which had a lot of inside stuff about the Hillary Clinton campaign, had a lot of fascinating details about people inside Hillary Clinton's campaign, basically knew things were looking a lot worse than the public message was. Uh, that the polling, the, the, what they were seeing in their internal data did not reassure them. Um, the guy in charge of Hillary's effort in Florida was like, we're not winning this thing. Uh, the university of one of the unions wanted signs and materials to do in Michigan. And they told them, don't worry about Michigan, focus on Iowa. Well, you know, know, she lost Iowa. She lost Michigan. She lost Florida. So the interesting thing is that Jonathan Allen and this other, I can't remember the name of the other reporter had a a decent amount of information indicating that the general narrative, that the 2016 campaign was going to be a Hillary Clinton win and she was going to win it pretty easily. And she had so many more, campaign offices and her get out the vote operation was such a much more well-oiled machine. Remember Trump had outsourced it entirely to the RNC and it was operating on a shoestring. Um, they, they had information that would have been, would have really been good for the public to know. <laughs> you know, I think if you, if you're trying to inform the public, these are people who were writing for other publications. I believe it was a roll call on the Hill while they were working on the book stuff. Now, it's always this argument back with uh, Heilemann and uh, Halperin, the, you know, the guy who was uh, caught in the Me Too stuff, um, that they were collecting stuff for their books, Game Change, and then I think it was Double Down or whatever the uh, less read sequel was. And there's always a little bit of a balance. Okay, I'll wait for this stuff after the election, and it could be really juicy or something like that. I think the tone of the reporter explaining his decision-making, Greg, you and I at some point in our lives have been in trouble. <laughs> 
And when we try to explain what happened, look, I was going to the store and I said I wasn't going to speed and I knew and I was pretty sure I had my driver's license and registration, but I wasn't sure. Maybe I left, you know, there was kind of this like, you know, look, I know this looks bad. (laughs) His comments there. And the reason it looks bad is because it's bad. Um, I mean, because here's the thing. A member of Congress used to be a part of a hacking group, but the hacking group won't say which one. That's a great story, right? That all of a sudden would, you know, all you, that, you know, I guess the question is, do you want to write a great book about a topic or do you want to write a great article about a topic? And if you choose to hold it back for the book, fine. But you've now made it, you know, when you, in this sense, you've already, you've created a, a, devil, a, a deal with the devil, right? You, you are now in cahoots. You, you are now in bed with the devil, so to speak, because you've decided to withhold information from the audience until after the election. And the fa- your first indication that this might affect the outcome of the election, Greg, is the fact that he doesn't want you to reveal it before the election. <laughs> Right. If Beto O'Rourke thinks this information is damaging, you can't just say, ah, this is not of interest to the public or something. Um, It does not look good. And here's I guess here's the other thing. If we again, we've seen these sorts of I want to write the behind the scenes story. Uh, News. The news weeklies used to do this sort of thing where they would get access behind the scenes for the last 72 hours of the campaign. um, And the reporters would not worry. The campaign wouldn't worry about it. Because Time or Newsweek or U.S. News or World Report, whatever, weren't going to have their next issue until after Election Day. So even if they saw the candidate um, in, a, in a drunken tirade or so, so something really unflattering was, it wasn't going to come out until after the election. And then you could, you know, kind of reveal all that stuff. Um, this is this this is bad. This, this way, and here's the thing: if we if we had a, a sort of a history of, of reporters doing this sort of thing for both sides of cam- both sides of cam- kinds of campaigns, fine. We don't have examples of that. And the sneaky suspicion is that if Reuters found out that a Republican congressman was a uh, uh, was a hacker in his youth and had apparently was wasn't it part of like a scamming the phone company to get free phone calls or something like that. This was not all totally harmless, you know, um, you know, defacing websites or something like that. This is, you know, more of that rebellious young Beto O'Rourke. You know, it goes well with the DOI and burglary charges. Um, that uh, there's kind of this this general sense of well we'll give this guy a deal because we like him and we'll hold, withhold it till after the election. If they'd found out the same information about Ted Cruz, in all likelihood we would have heard about it immediately. That, that's like I can't prove it, but that's my gut suspicion, and I suspect a lot of conservatives will agree with me. Yeah, that's been uh, Ted Cruz's reaction today already. He says, hmm, Reuters didn't want to quote-unquote scoop their word that Beto may have committed multiple felonies. Instead, they cut a deal to keep it secret for over a year until after the Senate election. Query, is there any universe in which they would have cut that deal for a Republican? Now, again, a lot of reporters like to work on books, and you have that question of, okay, if I put all this stuff in my news articles, I won't have any good stuff left over from the book. So it's you, you can understand that that dilemma there. But when you basically say, hmm, this might really affect the outcome of the election, I'd better not tell the public, you know, you've taken a side in that circumstance. So is Cult of the Dead Cow supplanting Aqua Buddha as the weirdest campaign theme in recent well, years? I understand or? it's already been announced by Cory Booker because he's vegan. <laughs> so, so does he want the cow to be dead then? How does that work? <sighs> I mean, I'm sure he does because the, the cow's emissions is bad for the planet. So I would there think... You, dead, you know, dead men tell no tales, dead cows emit no methane. <laughs> All right, on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And let's move on to 
as you said before, as somebody we foreshadowed, uh, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, currently 16 points underwater in his own state. And apparently it's not doing a whole lot better in the early presidential states. In case you weren't aware, uh, Bill de Blasio is also kicking around a 2020 presidential bid. Not sure this latest story is going to encourage that, but who knows with him. New York Post, Mayor de Blasio's ongoing tease of a presidential run didn't exactly pull in the crowds during a campaign-esque event in the Granite State. That being New Hampshire. Only 20 people showed up Sunday to hear the leader of America's largest city hold a roundtable on mental health including the 14 people on the panel and just six in the audience. There were also about six reporters on hand to make the room at the Sugar River Valley Regional Technical School look a little bit less empty. So, Jim, when the reporters match the turnout for your events, that's usually not a very good sign. But, you know, we've seen this in New Hampshire before for people who are kind of in the lower tier. I remember Sam Brownback had uh, some event where he couldn't fill up the first row and so forth. So, it's a work in progress for the mayor. What do you make of his uh, meager turnout? You know, uh, I, I just got a comment, uh, a statement issued in my uh, e- email box, Greg, from somebody kind of scoffing at the size of that crowd. Boy, is that guy unpopular. And that's from um, Virginia Governor Jim Gilmore, uh, <laughs> who you may recall got 11 in the Iowa caucuses. I, I don't mean 11%. I don't mean 11 precincts. I mean 11 votes out of a uh, one. So um, if there's going to be anything really delightful about this cycle, it's going to be a lot of Democrats. Look, obviously, you need a big ego to, to run to run for office. I think that's I think most people kind of agree with that. A little bit of narcissism is baked in the cake. But a lot of folks are walking around just this wildly unrealistic belief of how popular they are, how appealing they are. At a corner post yesterday where I was kind of laying out. You know, it's possible that out of like, let's take, you know, Julian Castro, Julian Castro, Jay Inslee, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, Pete Buttigieg, um, (laughs) you know, all of the who candidates you've heard about so far, maybe one or two of them really will break out, that they'll be out, all of a sudden they'll, they'll have some event, some speech maybe some moment in the debates or something like that. Maybe some of them are going to, you know, do, do the, whether it was Chris Dodd or somebody did the approach of basically moving to Iowa <laughs> and doing nothing but campaign in Iowa the entire time. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. The thing is that for the five, six, seven, eight, you know, maybe even nine also ran who, who the heck is this guy candidate? It's not going to work for all of them. Some of them are starting at 1% and some of them are going to finish at 1%. And it's going to be delightful to see some of these folks just slam into that brick wall of reality. And you could argue it's not fair. You could argue it's, you know, this isn't the way politics is supposed to be. By golly, back in the 1970s, you know, a candidate could go to Iowa and shake a lot of hands in diners and, you know, attend candidate forums and, you know, they would they would rise to the top. Or, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, maybe it's unfair. But first of all, this is what happens when you have 20 to 30 egomaniacs decide to jump in at the same time. We used to get a half dozen egomaniacs, and it was easier for the half. You know, there's an old joke that the way the media counts is one, two, many. <laughs> After three, it's just too many for us to keep track of, and, and you know, like, that's kind of where we are uh, in, in this. That you know, and, and I say this as somebody who's had writing profiles, and I think I'm up to like nine or ten of them. You know, most people can't keep track of them. We joke about they're going to they're going to do the debates over two nights. <laughs> Right? There are too many candidates. You can't really. Most of you don't belong. I, I'd, I'd love to moderate one. Boy, wouldn't that, let's just start get that campaign started, Greg. Oh yes, a lot of fun. You know, you know. Okay, attention, candidates. Like two thirds of you don't belong on this stage. 
So my goal tonight is to get every to humiliate at least six or seven of you so that you get laughed off the stage and you end this waste of time and money as quickly as possible. Um, I'm sorry. I'm tired of this. I've seen this get worse cycle after cycle. Folks who have absolutely no chance. And they, you know, like it's like one part naivete, one part egomania, one part just wildly unrealistic belief in their own abilities. No, I'm going to, I'm going to build up my name, ID and my support through grassroots engagement. No, you're not. (laughs) You're going to run around. You're going to give a whole bunch of speeches that sound just like every other candidate. And people are going to nod and smile and give polite applause. And then they'll go on, they'll focus back on the, the more serious candidates. Look, I hate to tell this to all these candidates. This is a good lesson for every Republican thinking about running in 2024. If you want to be elected president in 2024, you need to build your name ID now. You cannot build your name identification and establish your reputation amongst the party's primary voters during the campaign. Presuming we get another 10 to 15 to 20. Maybe at some point the parties will step in and create some sort of tougher barrier for entry. And you're like, Jim, don't you hate, don't you love democracy? And don't you want to see more candidates? No, no. I've seen too many no-hopers. The people who um, who are saying, no, no, more is better, never had to cover the Fox News undercard debates. <laughs> and it's not just because I'm lazy, Greg. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, not, it's, it's that recognition of to be president of the United States. You, you, you know, there's kind of this unwritten rule. You had to be elected at least twice statewide to something, right? Um, you see, and, you know, senators, governors. Once in a while, you get a House member, but generally it's very tough for House members to jump to it. Obviously, Trump blew up the established uh, uh, tradition there. But by and large, uh, you know, Obama had only been elected once statewide, and that was kind of you know breaking this barrier. We've been ha- requiring less and less experience out of our candidates for, for a long time, and I don't think it's getting things better. I think actually it, it encourages the riffraff, Greg. And if people want to say I'm snobbish, well, you know what? I don't think every Tom, Dick, and Harry in this country is qualified to be president, and I think it's time to reestablish some standards. So, uh, look, if that means Julian Castro doesn't like me, he can get in line with all the other candidates. <laughs> Jim, you mentioned a name from a little over a decade ago who moved to Iowa to concentrate all of his time, energy, resources, and sweat equity into putting forth a great showing in the Iowa caucuses. That was Connecticut Democratic Senator Christopher Dodd. In the end, he ended up with one delegate out of 2,500 of the state uh, the convention there for the Democrats in Iowa, which constituted 0.0% of the delegates. So it's clearly worth your time to get in when nobody knows who you are. Right? I mean, you know, <laughs> at some point you just kind of have to accept, hey, you know what? It's not happening for you. Um, and, you know, like, I don't know if, you know, for all those aspiring politicians out there, you know, um, the, the country needs senators. <laughs> The country need like like it's not like these other jobs stink. It's, you know, like they can be important, they can be helpful and good. You know, you don't have to be president of the United States to be super duper terrific and all of that. So, you know, again, just I'd, I'd like people a little more self awareness. If you're at, yeah, you know, supposedly you could be someone who rises to the very top and uh, uh, becomes some sort of you know amazing uh, come from behind story that nobody. Yeah, you could be, but. In all likelihood, you're just going to be the next Jim Gilmore. On that note... The only person who should be Jim Gilmore is Jim Gilmore. Is Jim Gilmore. Absolutely. Hey, he's probably the best uh, governor of the last quarter century. (laughs) It's a low bar.
It's a really, really low I bar. Mean, for Virginia governors, yeah. Really, we've, <laughs> we've had some winners lately. Let me say, if you ever figured, oh, who's going to be the least scandalous figure out of the last three, and you end up picking Terry McAuliffe. Yes, yes, you've got problems. Uh, he's still got to decide whether he's getting in, too. So, Jim, we'll reconvene tomorrow. Talk to you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And be sure to tune in again tomorrow for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. In the meantime, go get that Stamps.com offer. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get that four-week free trial plus free postage and the digital scale. Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Three Martini.